Chapter 7, Facet 3, Leading Teams, Inspire Collective Commitment. Here's a prediction I have for you. Many years from now, you may find yourself alone and thinking about the work you used to do. I can promise you with unbelievable certainty that you won't remember what the numbers were for the fourth quarter in 2030, or the growth rate, or the EBIT, or any other measure. No, if you're like most retired leaders I know, you'll be thinking about the people, the characters you met along the way, the relationships you forged, how when the team broke up after almost three years together, even though all were promotions, you're still teared up. You remember how you once dressed up as Santa at the work Christmas party and distributed presents to associates' kids. It was the best thing you did all year. Or how your macho type A supply manager couldn't pass through his fears at the band camp when it came to the flying fox. Then he broke down and shared his vulnerabilities and the whole team was so compassionate with him. Or how a marketing peer was so tough on you and her perfectionist behaviour went beyond a joke until she shared with you, after a few red wines, how deep down she felt she was a failure. All the perfectionist behaviour was just compensation, a cover-up. This is what you remember. You remember the people. And you remember the relationships, some brilliant, some good, some bad, and some ugly. Relationships involve emotions, and emotions are stored in the long-term memory, the limbic system, well after the logic of the fourth quarter figures are figments of your imagination. Humans are social beings, unless they're a psychopath. No, don't give a copy to your boss with this bit highlighted. We have an inbuilt need to congregate, to collaborate, to connect, to form community. I find again and again that the great leaders get this. They are great connectors and they connect to you on much more than a functional level. They get you and the whole business connecting to a higher purpose. They connect people to each other. They inspire collective commitment, which is not easy. No, the lure of hitting your own numbers and looking after your own patch, your own silo is very seductive. Dr. Barry Oshry tells us that systemically there is a constant struggle between dispersion doing your own thing, and integration as one team, particularly for middle managers. The integration can happen at many altitudes, from simply sharing information or group problem solving at base camp to summiting as a fully united climbing party or power block. In Oshri's brilliant workshop, the organisation workshop, Creating Partnership Across Boundaries, he also says, we don't integrate because we think we have nothing in common. Whereas the truth is exactly the opposite, because if we did integrate, we'd realise just how much we have in common. So how do you integrate? How do you inspire collective commitment? In our program, Our Best, Transforming High-Performing Individuals into a High-Performance Team, we help you implement a number of vital tools and processes, getting to know each other's talents, needs and vulnerabilities, genuinely getting it all out on the table, where it's working, where it's not, and where at times it's just a disaster setting specific behavioural ground rules or a team charter, not just values, looking at how decisions are made, agree on ways to respond to ideas that are put forward, exploring boundaries and expectations we have of each other, inspiring a collective personalised mission and legacy for the team that aligns with but is different to the organisational vision or purpose, seeing how we keep ourselves accountable. Now let's focus on one of these tools, the setting of ground rules. Setting ground rules is committing to how we wish to be with each other as a team. 
You may recall in an earlier chapter of this book, I summarised what each of the facets of your leadership diamond were. Within this, I outlined the fully sick model of high-performance teams. They all have a shared purpose, a focus on results. They all have absolute clarity around their interdependencies, shared accountabilities. They are all committed to each other's functions, buy-in and commitment. And the real breakthrough, they are all committed to each other's personal success, mutual trust and respect. Let's hone in on that. Last point, the building of mutual trust and respect. There are many ingredients to baking a successful trust pie. Yet one of the best I know is to have you and your team create a set of ground rules. Now, some don't like this term, so call it your living principles, your team charter, your team guidelines, your team code, or whatever you want. Simply remember, the purpose is to get you all on the same page about the way you will work together. Manage expectations up front. That way, there is constructive, not destructive conflict. But how do you get on the same page? Simon Sinek encourages us in his book, Start With Why. I agree that there's nothing more important than inspiring a shared purpose, the why. But the inspiration will be short-lived if you don't work out exactly how you're going to be with each other along the way. How will you work together? What's expected and what's not? What's tolerated and what's not? What's in scope and what's out? I don't know where I first heard it, yet I love the expression, when there are no rules, people make up their own. Great management of individual teams, clients, friends, and family is about managing expectations. Many teams get into destructive conflict because they have never discussed and agreed how they will work together, which can sometimes be their undoing. By all means, start with your noble or higher purpose, but rather than going straight onto your team mission, first agree how you will connect. How will you not just tolerate, but seek out and encourage constructive conflict in the team? I'll let you in on a secret. Even if you think your team doesn't have any ground rules, they do. They are there. They are tacit. They are unwritten. And they are unspoken. But they are there. The best thing you can do as a leader is to put them on the table. Bring them out into the open. Not acknowledging the unwritten ground rules is a recipe for disaster. If you can mention it, you can manage it. If not, people get hurt. They make up stories about one another, in which they are mostly the victim, about how someone in the team is not performing. The sad part is that the so-called non-performer probably doesn't even know what he is guilty of. It's never been discussed. It's never been made clear. We failed to put it on the table. While working with a very successful organisation in Asia, I asked the COO, how come they are so much more successful than their competitors? Quick as a flash, he answered, because we discuss the undiscussables. Undiscussables have an energy about them. For example, everyone knows the boss is a control freak or is always late to her own meetings. It upsets the team, but no one says anything. Well, not directly to the boss. It's an undiscussable. But let me assure you that if you're the boss, your behavior is being discussed with the other team members, yet never in the open. It's pushed down. But that takes energy, and much like a beach ball being held down in a pool, when you eventually stop pushing it down, it will shoot out of the pool with amazing force. In my leadership shadow work, I say it eventually pops up with demonic energy. The energy used to not discuss 
to not mention and to push things under the table is energy that detracts the team away from its purpose. Dr. Ishak Adesis from the Adesis Institute illustrates this perfectly in his success formula. He sees success in personal and organisational life as an equation. It's a function of the numerator, the top number, being the amount of energy you have available for external integration. In our case, it's how will you match your organisational capabilities to the opportunities and the needs of the marketplace. However, it's not all smooth sailing. The number and therefore the overall energy available and the success of the system is divided by the denominator, the bottom figure, which is what Adesis calls internal disintegration, such as politics, unclear vision, mission or values, lack of role clarity, or doing business with yourself. Essentially, it's anything that erodes mutual trust and respect. Energy is neither created nor destroyed, and only goes to one place at a time. So where do you think it goes to first? Exactly, to internal disintegration. This must be reduced if your team and organisation have any hope of succeeding and fostering mutual trust and respect. Only then can you optimise the amount of energy available for your clients, the subject of our next chapter. Ground rules help you do just that. In our team programs, we point out how team members have a choice. They can play ping pong or put the bowling balls on the table of truth. A ping pong team is a low performance team. They will simply pass live issues across the table all day long. Sure, there will be a few volleys and smashes, but we never mention the real issues. No one calls it. Don't mention the war. Basil Faulty. On the other hand, high-performance teams move towards the tension. If not, they know it will go underground and eventually end up biting them. The bowling balls are all those things that are heavy to lift and may even put a dent in the table. But for real honesty, for real trust and mutual respect, they must be said. If not, your integrity and those of the team suffer enormously. So the question is, how do you put the bowling balls on the table? First of all, don't turn every issue into a bowling ball and don't turn your team into an AMF bowling alley. All that causes is more drama. When I was a kid, I was the goody two-shoes in the family, and my brother was the absolute opposite. He was continually in trouble at school, though it was nothing serious and he never hurt anyone. Yet I can remember, even for small misdemeanours, Mum used to say, Colin, how could you? Wait till your father gets home. The tension would mount, and by the time Dad did get home, one could cut the hair with a knife over what were really small issues. For starters... Let a few of the smaller ones through to the keeper, as they say in cricket, but never do so continually. Every time you let someone get away with a behaviour that doesn't help the team in the long run, you are subtly making it okay. Your lack of calling it is what makes it possible. We teach people how to treat us. Again, the best way I know how to put the bowling ball on the table to move towards the tension is to have or nurture an environment that drives out fear and drives up trust. One of the best ways of doing that is for the team to co-create a set of ground rules or behaviours by which they all agree to live. So how do you go about this? Steps to creating team ground rules. 1. Link them to organisational values. 2. Start where you are at. 3. Make them behaviourally specific. 4. Bring them to life. 5. Make them real. 6. Agree how to reinforce them. 
7. Agree how to enforce them. The overall formula for setting ground rules. Here it is. Simple yet powerful. You simply have to fill in the blanks. We, adverb, verb, value, by, behavior. For example, we constantly, adverb, demonstrate, verb, respect, value, by being on time for all meetings, behavior. Let's put this overall ground rules formula in context. 1. Link them to organizational values. Most organizations have values along with the strategic drivers of the business. They are the building blocks of a culture to be proud of. Although your team may have its unique opportunities, challenges and characters, we're always part of a bigger picture, a bigger context, or as we say in the organization workshop, a bigger pond. I strongly suggest the starting point of your own team ground rules is your own organizational values. List them down. There's normally three to seven. For each one, have a key behavioral, more on this later, ground rule pertinent, exciting, and relevant to your team. By doing that, you're letting your team know, hey, we are different from the other teams, and yet we are linked, like other teams, to the mothership by a common set of values. Two, start with where you're at. If your team has been working with each other for a while, there will be issues. In our team-focused leadership development program, our best, I use play of life technique, a brilliant creation of Dr. Carlos Romando, which he outlines in Relationship Capital, using dolls to tell the story of where the team is at. You can also do this by surveys if you're a little more left brain, or you can get the team together and ask them questions as a team. What's working well? What's not working well? What are your key frustrations with the team? What have we got to do less of, more of, or let go of altogether in order to get to the next level? Start with where the team is at and make ground rules that address the surfaced issues. Do this by capturing all the issues on flip charts. Yes, it's old technology, but the whole team needs to be looking up to a shared document, not looking down to an individual typed or electronic copy. Three, make them behaviorally specific. If you're not careful, ground rules can be word soup, lots of broth, but no real substance. It's great to come up with values such as honesty, service, pride, care, and integrity. But what do they really mean? Well, they mean different things to different people. That's why, wherever possible, express your ground rules as specific behaviours. The more specific, the better. I love the expression, you have to be able to put it in a wheelbarrow. What would I actually see you doing if I sat in on one of your one-on-ones or your team meetings? Rather than simply saying, we take pride in our achievements, with the value being pride, you could add a specific behaviour, we take pride in our achievements by recognising individual and team performance at the earliest time we can. We consistently foster integrity in all that we do. With integrity as the value, it becomes we consistently foster integrity by going directly to a person we have a problem with rather than talking to someone else. Notice how we can see these behaviours. They are real. Additionally, as the team matures, develops even stronger bonds of mutual trust and respect, the behaviours can change to suit the current context, with the values remaining the same. Four, bring them to life. One way you can bring your team ground rules to life is through adverbs and verbs. Yes, I know what you're thinking. 
go back to school with me for a bit. Girls and boys, a verb is a doing word and an adverb brings the doing word to life. So you can go from, we demonstrate integrity, to, we constantly demonstrate integrity. From, we show respect, to, we continually show respect. From, we embrace innovation, to, we passionately embrace innovation. From, we honour pride, to, we wholeheartedly honour pride. By using adverbs like constantly, continually, passionately and wholeheartedly, you help to truly bring your ground rules to life. Simply having the dialogue about what verb and adverbs to add will help you clarify what you really want to stand for as a team. 5. Make them real. It's essential your ground rules are in everyday language. I prefer colloquial expressions to those that are so formal it's like a straitjacket. And believe me, I've seen them, such as, we should discharge energy if faced with an adverse situation by engaging in dialogue with the other party involved. What? What about if we have a problem with someone, we tell them? Only last week, I was looking at the website of a children's charity in Australia called Reach. One of their values struck me as very real. It wasn't about the amount they cared, the degree of compassion, or the community they intend to build. It simply read, we give a shit. It doesn't get much simpler than that. Do a reality check on your own ground rules. 6. Agree how to reinforce them. There's an old maxim in psychology. What gets recognised gets repeated. Yep, it's great. You got this far, and now you have your 5 to 9 behavioural ground rules in place. Complete with verbs and adverbs to make them come to life, linked to organisational values and behaviourally specific. So now what? How do you keep them alive? How do you make sure it was not just a futile exercise? How do we keep them top of mind? There are so many ways you can do this. What's vital is that the team owns them. To get this to happen, it's essential they come up with specific ways you'll keep them alive in your team. Over the years, I've seen some fantastic ways of doing this, including, but not limited to, Create an image of your ground rules and set it as your phone wallpaper, printing them on a wallet or purse card, laminating them and putting them on the wall, reviewing them at the beginning and end of a meeting, crediting those that are walking, breathing role models of the ground rules, taking one ground rule at a time and talking about it at a team meeting, asking how certain team actions reinforce the values reviewing everyone's performance that week or month against the values and behaviours, using them as a way to induct new team members. The list goes on and on, limited only by your team's imagination. The trick is to bring the ground rules to life so that they become a meaningful yardstick to constantly answer the question, how are we doing? 7. Agree how to enforce them. A rule. Any rule is only as strong as the strength of conviction after it's broken. The 2016 Australian of the Year, Army Officer David Morrison, admitted he had appropriated the following line from Commander of the Defence Force and former New South Wales Governor David Hurley. The standard you walk by is the standard you accept. 
Well, it's exactly the same with your team ground rules. The ground rule that's broken that you walk by sets the standard you accept. You and your team set them in the first place. I was out for dinner one night talking rugby union with the Irish wife of a client. At one time, she worked for the BBC. She told me how she had been impacted by a line from Sir Clive Woodward, known for his meticulous attention to detail and for being the winning coach of the Rugby World Cup in 2003. He reported how one of the team ground rules in preparing for the 2003 World Cup was to be on time for training. When one player turned up late, he called with passionate intensity, you just lost us the World Cup. Now, you may think this is over the top, but surely the essence of it is not. The team came up with the ground rules and they all agreed that the ground rules were what was going to help them get to their goal. So why not be that strong? Why not enforce it? If not, what's the point of the ground rule in the first place? It's about being impeccable with your word. I love the book, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. One of the agreements is be impeccable with your word. When your team agrees to ground rules, they are speaking their truth and they are making agreements with each other. It's your integrity that's at stake. You've already encouraged the team to say exactly what they mean, to put the bowling balls on the table, and then create ground rules to address those issues. When a team member breaks a ground rule, whether consciously or unconsciously, you have to call it. If not, you and the whole team are not in integrity. Earlier in my career, I worked with Pricewaterhouse Erwick, the then consulting arm of the international accounting firm Pricewaterhouse, PW. I became very involved with the difference that makes the difference in professional service firms like PW. What makes service firms successful? That led me to the work of a David Meister. I read his books, Managing the Professional Services Firm and First Among Equals. The one thing of all the information he shared in his books and seminars was, great businesses build cultures of intolerance. With all our emphasis on people and the importance of empathy, you'd think it would read the other way around. Great businesses build cultures of tolerance. But let's take this a little further. Where do you draw the line? This is where my baby boomer values seem to resurface. I can't believe how tolerant and complacent we've become in business and in life in general. Targets not hit, the market's tough. Always late for work, the buses keep breaking down. Shouting at a colleague, oh, that's just their style. Not cooperating with colleagues, they've just got so much on their plate. The question for all of us is, what are you tolerating in your team? Again, I draw on the work of Dr. Ishak Adizas. Dr. Adizas constantly refers to two aspects of management, decision-making and implementation. His experience and research shows that the best businesses and leaders have two different approaches to each of these key factors. With decision-making, it's more important to involve as many representatives of key stakeholders as possible. In setting ground rules with your team, you must involve the whole team. You need to thrash them out together. It's a democracy, and that's part of the cathartic process. But once they're finished, and once they've signed off on You need to agree on what you're going to do if the rules are broken. How do you ruthlessly ensure implementation with dictatorial authority? By the way, Dr. Deezus puts these two styles together 
democracy in decision-making and dictatorship in implementation and coined the portmanteau democracy. I've seen a multitude of examples here, from yellow cards, first offence, and red cards, second offence, to monetary fines in a visible jar. For me, by far the best way to enforce, to hold people to the mast, is to agree on a process up front. For example, your steps could be, one, anyone can call you on your breaking a rule in private or in public in a team meeting. Two, you discuss it and leave it, or you discuss it and bring it to the team meeting for further discussion. Three, if there is agreement that a rule was broken, you move on. Four, if not, after honest, transparent discussion, it's captain's call. The team leader makes a decision either way. Five, the ground rule is both reinforced and enforced. And what if team members continually break the rules? Well, you go through the usual courtesy of seeking first to understand, but after several enforcements, it goes from a team issue to an individual performance issue, where your normal organisational policies would come into play. Avoid this like the plague. Really, it's an absolute last resort. Believe me, once it escalates to this level, it's hard coming back from there. Time for reflection. Are you a stickler for rules? Are you Attila the Hun? Are you far too flexible, too tolerant? Are you too laid back, too laissez-faire? Leadership really is a juggling act between flexibility and control. These are important questions to reflect on because your behaviour around rules will dramatically impact your success as a leader and your happiness as a human being. Again, it often goes back to your family of origin. Rules have their place. Without them, the world would be in chaos. Obviously, my mum and dad thought that when raising their two boys. My parents were both involved with World War II, with dad on the Kokoda Trail and mum a war nurse back in Australia. They were used to rules, to regulations, and they were used to obeying them. They thought it was their duty. Therefore, it's not surprising we had rules in our household. There were only three, and they were very clear. Did my brother and I abide by them? Not always. Did we agree with them? Not always. Were they clear? Absolutely. Were they reinforced? Every time we went out. Were they enforced? Yep. We were grounded numerous times, and that even threatened a belting. I can't remember that ever happening. The rules were as follows. One, tell the truth. Two, do as you're told. Three, don't touch things that don't belong to you. With rules, we have a hope of building and maintaining a civilised society where people can get on with their lives with reasonable certainty. Imagine if a country said, you can drive on any side of the road you want. Or imagine you're an Australian visiting the United States and you still insist on driving on the left-hand side of the road. This is not a very smart strategy. You'll crash into more than just cognitive dissonance if you keep that up. Rules need to be made, but they need to be made around your context. Telling a millennial that one of the rules of the teams is to do as you're told simply won't cut it. But here's the rub. The opposite may also be true for your personal and organisational success. I love the title of Marcus Buckingham's book, First Break All the Rules. It's a provocation to remind us if we are too rule-bound, we will never break out of our current level or box. Some rules simply don't cut it sometimes, and it's this degree of agility that often leads to breakthrough performance. 
I love the way you think outside the box. What box? What's vitally important here is to not marry the rules and divorce the outcome. We need to continually check the intent behind the rules and see whether they are helping to achieve the job they set out to do in the first place. It's a little bit like in Italy where I'm convinced a stop sign means an intention to possibly slow down. Perhaps the real meaning of life is in the nuances, the space in between the rules. Week 3, small tweak 3. Again, These are exactly the seven steps you've read about already. One, let your team know you wish to gain involvement and commitment to how you're going to be with each other. Where possible, link your organizational values. Two, get all the issues on the table. Openly discuss what's working in the team, what's not, and how it could be better. Start where you are at. Three, Make your ground rules behaviourally specific to considerably increase understanding and adherence. Four, bring the values to life by adding a descriptive word, an adverb to the agreed behaviour. Five, don't get too fancy. Make them everyday language and make them real. Six, agree how the team will keep them alive. How will you reinforce them? Seven, finally, What is the team code of behavior when a ground rule is consciously or unconsciously broken? How will you enforce them? Now that you're totally present to everyone you're with, you're focused to the point of being obsessed with crediting great work and great qualities, and your team have agreed how you'll work together, It's time to focus your energy on creating stunning service and results for your clients and customers.